0: audio podcast network hello listeners welcome to whining about herstory the podcast where two longtime gal pals swap stories about badass women you've probably never heard of and we certainly had never heard of until now (laughs) over a bottle of wine I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And we're so happy you're listening today.
1: Yes, thank you for joining us.
0: So we got some recent feedback from one of our listeners where they had just realized that both Kelly and I are telling each other these stories for the first time.
1: Yeah, most weeks, this week I asked Emily who her person was. I didn't ask for details, just the name to ensure that we weren't doing the same person. But most weeks there's no conversation about who we're doing until we arrive in the studio together.
0: So I just want to assure you when I'm going, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. (gasps) Like, it's real. (laughs) Our reactions
1: are 100% (laughs) genuine, we promise. We're
0: genuinely just this campy and terrible. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's. but I love you.
0: Yep. So um, let's get started. First of all, we're going to introduce the wine we're drinking. Now, if you're a first-time listener, Kelly and I are not professional winers. We're more wine enthusiasts, amateur wine queens. Yeah, that's accurate. So we basically pick the bottles off of the cheapness and the label and the type of wine and just kind of whatever we're feeling like. This week was my turn and I picked Lake Girl brand brand pontoon red california red wine and i picked it because it's got this cute girl sitting on the beach enjoying the water just hanging out and that's exactly where i want to be right now right (laughs) but in minnesota it is still way too goddamn cold
1: yeah and today is kind of terrible and like
0: foggy it's gloomy it's foggy like this would be great if it was halloween right you know it's definitely that kind of ominous weather So I'm just going to read the back of the label here. And normally this describes the wine. This bottle does not describe the wine at fucking all. (laughs) So I'm just going to prepare you. So late girl, 2014, pontoon red. Listening to the lapping of the waves against the shore and seeing the moon reflected on the water. I'm transported to the moment of my first kiss. I know I'm home when I'm at the lake forever late girl Oh, that's a very sexy wine legal. yeah i really like that it's funny because the front of the bottle looks
1: kind of i mean the girl's definitely kind of sexy but it's like more cute to me well, yeah, and she she looks kind of like shy like you know she's like not actually touching the water at all but she's kind of like oh hee he yeah definitely like girl next door yeah
0: all right. I'm drinking out of the unpugged wine glass today. I'm drinking I'm... out of bed pugs
1: because I was in bed until Emily showed up.
0: <laughs> and I have I have had a hell of a week, so I'm feeling very unhinged, and I'm ready to unplug from the grid of my week and just dive into this red. Well, here we go. Cheers to... What are we cheersing to? A better weekend than the week. Cheers to a bitchin' weekend. <laughs> Clink. So... Kelly, this this isn't the first sip she's taken. I wish we had done it <laughs> on recording because it kicked her in the fucking teeth.
1: I know. I, I took a sip and I was like, woo! It just it has a lot more flavor, especially than the wine we did last week, which was like super mellow, almost no flavor. Yeah. And this is this is very pungent is not the right word, because that more describes a smell to me, but like full bodied full bodied yeah. there's a lot of tannins i'm sure and it took I its no whole body
0: and just body slammed you in yeah. the face it's good though yeah i i like it i definitely am kind of craving like a steak or a burger right. just like all it... bloody and gross and
1: primal good red meat wine
0: yes all right so I get to start this week, and if you've listened before, I hate starting because there's so much anxiety associated <laughs> with it. I want to I do a good enough job where people stick around for Kelly's story.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they could just skip and go to my I'm gonna kidding, don't do that.
0: Like, skip to the next 30-minute mark. Oh, actually, I'm so sorry. Before we get started, we want to give a quick honorary shout out. So on the day of the recording, it is Hedwig Cohn's 132nd birthday. And she was a physicist who escaped the Nazis. And I was just going to read this short article that kind of details her life. But the more I was reading it, the more I was like, fuck, I want to cover her. Because I'd never heard of her until the Google Doodle. Okay. So honorary shout out, Hedwig Cohn, it's your 132nd birthday. Keep rocking on in Ooh. heaven or wherever. I know. I was like, wait, is she still alive? Well, she's she's also Jewish. And I can't remember if... Is there a heaven? I should know this. I was in the Jewish student organization. I know there's not a hell. I don't know. We both
1: went to college. We're both drinking wine. We're both
0: drinking wine, but we did go to college. And we're not trying to
1: be offensive. We, We genuinely, like don't know
0: yeah i i realize i overstepped by saying keep rocking it in heaven and they realize that could be very religiously uh insensitive so you know what i'm just gonna power through it keep rocking on hedwig and i'm gonna jump into my story all right so today i am covering elizabeth jennings graham african-american teacher and civil rights figure Ooh. yes i'm i'm excited And this is actually the second gal my mom has sent me. Okay. So shout out, Gwen. I love you. She's very supportive. So right away, I found differing accounts on details of her life. So some of my notes have question marks next to them. Like I found accounts that said she was born in March and then others that said, we don't know when the
1: fuck she was born. Yeah. Sometimes you really get that. That they're like, oh, you're born this year. And then the other one's like, oh, they were born this year, which is like two years later. And you're like, okay, that's actually like a decent, like time gap there guys
0: well and we've covered women before where their tombstones have been proven to be incorrect like oh hey according to census records and birth records and a ton of other paperwork they were actually born in this year but their tombstone just said fuck it (laughs) fuck it we're just picking a year yeah just throw throw a dart at a board of numbers and that's just gonna be the year
1: just guess the decade and then throw the dart
0: (laughs) all right So Elizabeth was born in maybe March of 1827-ish. Dates differ according to her death certificate and census records. Uh, She was born as a free African American 38 years before the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which formally ended the legal institution of slavery in the United States. Okay. Um, So being born free was a pretty big deal. Did she live in the North? She did. She was one of five children. Her father, Thomas L. Jennings, was a free man when Elizabeth was born and became a successful tailor and influential member of New York's black community. That's awesome. Yeah. I went more into her parents than I normally do because they were both really fucking cool. Yeah. So her father received a patent for his dry cleaning process called dry scouring on March 3rd of 1821, which gave birth to modern-day dry cleaning. This also made him the first African-American to ever receive a patent. That's awesome. Right. So she's coming from some pretty incredible people. Right? She's got some high
1: standards.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The bar is set, and it is high. Her mother, also named Elizabeth, was born into slavery, but later categorized as an indentured servant until 1827, under New York's Gradual Emancipation Act of 1799. So basically, this was a law that freed slave children born after July 7th, 1799, but made them indentured servants until they were young adults.
1: They still got when they're indentured servants do they get paid or is it basically just another name for slaves? I it's basically another name for slave. So my understanding
0: of indentured servitude is that you have a contract to basically work for someone for a set amount of time. It's like decades. It I mean, at be. least they
1: knew it was ending. But that's it's still terrible.
0: No, and this is terrible. And I was thinking about. it. I was like, well, I mean, I guess if I have to pick between being a slave for the rest of my life and having an end date on this bullshit, I'll pick that. But these kids are losing their entire childhoods. Oh, hey, you're uh, you're you, a young adult. You're not
1: getting a childhood.
0: You don't get an education. You don't get a childhood. I mean, I don't know if anyone's teaching you how to fucking right? read. And now you're on your own. And now you're on. Now you're free and go fucking deal with that. So. It's still not a great situation. And this pissed me off. I was like, I get baby steps, but this is just like right. people are patting themselves on the back thinking they're making progress and they're just doing fuck all. Thomas used the money he earned from his patent to dry cleaning process to buy his wife's freedom. Aww. I couldn't find a year, so I don't know exactly how long she was a slave slash indentured servant or when she was freed, but... He was the first African American with a patent and he bought his wife's freedom and they were able to have a daughter who was born free.
1: Which is awesome.
0: They are parenting to the max. Elizabeth Sr. was a prominent prominent figure in her own right. She was a member of the Ladies Literary Society of New York, founded in 1834 by New York's elite Black women as an abolitionist organization and to promote self-improvement through community activities,
1: reading, and discussion. Yeah, say, so obviously she must have had some reading education at some point, point. and I th- I think it was a lot of females tended to learn to read because they worked in the house, mm. you know. So they kind I think they picked up more.
0: Yeah, and like I said, I was trying to find more about that timeline because I'm like, she's born into slavery and then indentured servitude. And she, I mean, she didn't even just kind of age out of the, like her freedom yeah. was bought. So I'm like, she still must have been a, a young woman. Yeah. Elizabeth Sr. wrote the speech. On the improvement of the mind, which her 10-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, who we're covering, delivered at one of the group's meetings. The speech talks about the importance of exerting the power of the mind to improve the self and the world, particularly for African-Americans to overcome the prejudices of whites and to work towards abolishing slavery. Wow. So this whole group is basically, hey, we need to work on ourselves. We need to become smarter or... Not smarter, but we need to educate ourselves. We need to become stronger so that we can work to overcome the bullshit
1: that we are facing. Right, and show them that, hey, we are equal to you.
0: Exactly. And to fight for that equality because anyone who's ever cracked open a history book knows equality is not given. Right. It is fought for, even though everyone deserves it. Yeah. By 1854, Elizabeth Jennings Graham, so the daughter, who we're primarily covering... Two Elizabeths made this a little complicated. Uh, became a school teacher and a church organist, teaching at the Amer- African, sorry, African Free School, an institution founded in 1787 to provide education to children of slaves and free people of color. One of the school's notable founders was Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> we are waiting on the winds for you. Oh God, I hope we don't get sued now. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm a huge fan of Hamilton. That was, that was like all I listened to for three months straight. (laughs) In the 1850s, horse-drawn streetcars on rails were a common mode of transportation. These streetcar lines were privately owned, which allowed the owners and drivers to refuse service service to passengers and to enforce segregated seating. So, hey, this is our car. We can do whatever the fuck we want. On July 16th, 1854, Elizabeth was running late to play the organ at the First Colored Congressional Church. She boarded a streetcar owned by the 3rd Avenue Railroad Company, which only catered to white passengers at the corner of Pearl Street and Chatham Street. Elizabeth was initially given permission to ride as long as none of the white passengers complained. Then the conductor ordered her to get off. So, I found some weird accounts about this. Like, okay, she was allowed on, so she didn't, like, fight her way on. Yeah. But I found accounts that the conductor let her on as long as no one complained, but then he was just waiting to find someone to help kick her off. Right. But long long story short, when Elizabeth politely told him to fuck off, the conductor tried to remove her by force, <laughs> oh, and only with the aid of a police officer was Elizabeth forcibly removed from the tr- streetcar. Oh, She's just trying to go
1: to church, people.
0: You know what? This is the worst thing. You're living in the city, you're running late to play organ at the church. You catch a break getting a ride on this fucking streetcar and then you get like forced off by two men.
1: Yeah. Like who probably were not gentle.
0: No, and there there were records that uh like they ripped her clothes, they injured her. Oh, I couldn't I'm sure. find specifics like oh she broke her fibula or anything. But she's literally getting forced off of this Right. Streetcar and I'm like, well, did they even stop the streetcar? Did she <laughs> do <need to> tuck <laughs> Was and roll? it a tuck and roll? Yeah. <laughs> so this should all sound very familiar to anyone who's even moderately familiar with uh the nineteen sixties civil rights movement. Yeah. Shout out Rosa Parks. This shit has been going on for too fucking long. Right. <laughs> Elizabeth later wrote of the incident, quote. I was a respectable person, born and raised in New York, did not know where he was born and that he was a good-for-nothing, impudent fellow for insulting decent persons while on their way to church. Because he was, like, accosting her and being like, where are you from? Where are you from? Oh, yeah. And it's like, uh... Here? Yeah, like, I'm going to church, asshole, calm down. This naturally didn't set well with the black community and sparked an organized movement to end racial discrimination on streetcars. The movement was led by Elizabeth's father, Reverend James W.C. Pennington, and Reverend Henry Hyland Garnett. And I'm sure they're all really cool guys, but I did not get into them. Yeah. There were widespread protests against the streetcar company. Again, this is all sounding very familiar. Yeah. Elizabeth wrote a letter that detailed the incident and read it in church the very next day. Oh, wow. The letter was eventually published by famed abolitionist and escaped slave Frederick Douglass in his newspaper. I know that name. Yep. The story gained national attention and Thomas filed a lawsuit on Elizabeth's behalf against the driver, conductor, and the 3rd Avenue Railroad Company. Wow. Elizabeth was represented by 24 year old lawyer Chester A. Arthur, who might sound a little familiar because he eventually became our 21st president. Oh, yeah. And I think um, when I covered my last gal, she had a run in with a former president. I believe so, yes. Teddy Roosevelt. So I didn't do this on purpose. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe my mom uh-huh. did. <laughs> At the time, New York didn't have any laws on segregation on streetcars. So this was a purely private policy of these streetcars. So in 1855, the court ruled in Elizabeth's favor a hundred years before Rosa Parks' famous ride. Wow. Brooklyn Circuit Court judge william rockwell said quote colored persons if sober well behaved and free from disease have the same right as others and can neither be excluded by any rules of the company nor by force or violence so it's like hey if you're not bothering anyone it doesn't fucking matter what
1: color your skin is right like what a novel concept right if you're not like drunk and being an asshole. Or, like, super sick and gonna, like, get everybody else sick with, like, TB or some shit. Right. You're fine. Just get on the streetcar.
0: Right. We all got places to go.
1: Chill the fuck out. Sit down and shut up. Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Park it and hush it. (laughs) For our our listeners with sensitive ears. Elizabeth was awarded damages in the amount of $250, which is just over $7,000 in today's money. It's not bad it's nothing to sneeze at but not great i don't think that's what i don't think she would have gotten seven thousand dollars today if this had happened but yeah it's also super against the
1: law right (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) because in this case they just proved that there was no law to back up the streetcar company right so um she was also awarded Uh, $22.50 in costs, which is $653.73 today. So she's making like $7,600 off of of this horrible incident. While the ruling did not desegregate streetcars, Elizabeth's case set the precedent for future cases. African-American activists formed the Legal Rights Association to continue fighting for equality. A similar case was brought forward in May of the same year by James W.C. Pennington, one of the men who had helped organize the movement originally, against another of New York's prominent streetcar companies. So this kind of started this movement towards addressing, hey, why is there segregation on streetcars? This is bullshit.
1: Let's fucking fight it. Right. And then they're like, no, there shouldn't be. And then they're like, well, look, they're still doing it.
0: Yeah. Well, and... Her winning set the precedent that, like, okay, legally, there's there's no reason to enforce this kind of bullshit. It would be another decade in 1865 until New York's public transit services were completely desegregated. After the trial, Elizabeth continued working as an organist and teacher. She married Charles Graham in the 1850s, and the two had a son named Thomas in 1862. Unfortunately, Thomas died of convulsions. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. I think he might have had like seizures at one year old. Double sad. He died during the New York draft riots, which were riots that lasted for four days, sparked by the discontent amongst the working class and new laws passed by Congress to draft men to fight in the American Civil War. Didn't get deep into it. Um, Elizabeth and her husband had to seek help from a white undertaker and sneak through the streets to bury their son.
1: I'm sure because otherwise you're going to get caught in the riots. You're probably going to get arrested, even if you're not doing anything.
0: Right. I mean, it's just people are are losing their shit and being very violent. And it's not like, I mean, your son has just died. That's heartbreaking. You can't wait i mean they didn't know this these rides lasted for four days you can't
1: right. wait to
0: bury him no.
1: that's and nor would you want to like that's terrible yeah
0: so it, that was just kind of sad and then her husband died four years later in 1867 oh. so i'm just hitting you with the sad thanks in 1895, Elizabeth operated a kindergarten for African-American children out of her home at 247 West 41st Street. Shout out to 41st Street, because that's the street Kelly and I used to live on. Heck yeah! Not
1: in New York no. or anything. Minnesota.
0: <laughs> in Minnesota. So that just made me smile. <laughs> like, whenever I can find little kismet things like that, it makes yeah. me happy. Especially after, like, three hits of sad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yay, little, little ray of light. <laughs> Uh, She continued operating the school until her death on June 5th, 1901. So she really took it upon herself to take on kind of her parents' mission. Yeah. To help support and strengthen the black community. And so she had the school running it out of her own home. She was a teacher for many years. Elizabeth was buried in Cypress Hill Cemetery in Brooklyn with her son and husband. And now I have what I titled Legacy in all caps (laughs) i had a lot of trouble finding information on elizabeth and it's probably because the first biography on her wasn't published until do you have any guesses on the year Mm, 61 1961? 1961
1: okay 2018 what
0: she wasn't yeah. written about
1: until last year.
0: Yeah. So she did what Rosa Parks did a hundred years before Rosa Parks, and I never fucking heard of her. No. And th- I'm not bashing Rosa Parks here or anything. I'm just saying this woman is just Yeah, there, there were other
1: movements going
0: on. Like. Yeah. Written by Amy Hill Hearth, Streetcar to Justice, How Elizabeth Jennings Won the Right to Ride in New York, was intended for adolescent and adult readers. So but it- it's more accessible that way, which I really yeah. like. Did not buy it. Have not read it. I recommend you check it out. And let me know how it is. And if I <laughs> if it's worth the, worth, the, worth the money. In 2019, Shirlane McRae, and I apologize if I'm saying that wrong, the first lady of New York City announced there would be a statue honoring Elizabeth erected near Grand Central Aww. Terminal. So she's still being remembered today. Good. Finally. And then I am ending on the cutest note ever. Okay. So I'm definitely trying to keep it upbeat this week. We have had some downer stories. Yeah, thanks. In 2007, New York City co-named a block of Park Row, Elizabeth Jennings Place, after a campaign by third and fourth graders at PS361. This had been attempted before in the 1990s, but was not successful. One student said, quote, She's an unknown hero that helped our state. Another said, we actually took a stand in the world and for what we thought was
1: right. I'm going to cry. Oh, I'm sorry. little baby. I wrote that
0: quote down and I got really emotional and like reading that was really yeah. hard. I just.
1: So obviously people kids. in New York remembered because that was 2007. That's yeah. 11 years before a biography was written. So it must have been more prominent, you know, in New York or maybe the area she was from versus, you know, in the United States where, I mean, it should be remembered everywhere.
0: Right. And I mean, I get Rosa Parks being a more remembered figure because she's associated with Martin Luther King Jr. The civil rights movement of the 1960s was a lot more recent. This is one story that makes up a whole landscape of civil rights movements and activity. Well, and this was
1: pre-Civil War, Because they were talking about the draft riots. Yeah. So this was pre-slash into the Civil War, Mm -hmm. whereas Roads of Parks was after. Yeah. You know, so I I think that's part of it, too, is, you know, the amendment hadn't been passed yet, Mm -hmm.
0: and then it was,
1: and so suddenly you have a much larger um, minority vying for this attention versus little pockets of the minority, you know.
0: Yeah, well, and even Elizabeth's parents were very focused on strengthening the black community so that they could mobilize and fight for their rights and you know i know progress is so painfully slow and the real tragedy is that not everyone makes it to see it turn out but it eventually does and i feel like elizabeth's story is just as much a part of rosa park's story and every other civil rights story you hear because it took Every single act, it took every single movement, it took every single person for people to get the rights that they fucking deserve. And I will salute to Miss Elizabeth. Cheers. But that
1: story just really touched me. I was drinking wine. Yes, that was a good story. So, in another weird twist of events um, that seem to tie our episodes together, even though we don't talk about them beforehand, I am also covering an (laughs) African-American seriously we we don't like coordinate we don't pick themes or
0: anything and i feel like a lot of our episodes have had that oh my god my lady too yeah right like it was just we have esp this is what happens when you're friends with someone for 10 fucking
1: years yeah right (laughs) all right so i'm covering katherine johnson i have never i was like have you heard of it because it's like a super common name (laughs) yeah
0: i was gonna say that sounds like the fake name i would give at the bar oh my name is katherine what's your last name johnson it's that or like smith did i tell you that um my friends and i this guy asked us for our names and we all gave fake names and like mine me and my one friends were both realistic and then my other friends like my name's
1: betty and i'm like who the fuck is named betty it's okay i have a stark remembrance of one time in college i was sitting with you and some guy came up to you and was like oh i'm in your class what's your name and you're like kelly and i was like (laughs) the fuck emily i Remember that Maybe it was Cameo, actually. Oh
0: my god, I don't remember,
1: but it was either you or Cameo, and someone did that. And I was sitting right next to them, and I'm like, "Great, now I have to come up with a name." So oh I just god. I use their name. Oh my god, yeah. So the
0: lengths we go to to get people to leave us the fuck alone. Right? Like, I
1: don't want to give you my name. Okay, so katherine Johnson was born Catherine Coleman in 1918 in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, to Joy Letta and Joshua Coleman. She was the youngest of four children. Her mother was a teacher, and her father was a lumberman, farmer, handyman, and worked at the Greenbrier Hotel. So, so her father was kind of a jack of all trades. Yeah,
0: he was. He was out there working, getting it done.
1: Right? Catherine showed a strong meth. I am so sorry if you can hear that. The pugs are very excited. About this story. Yeah,
0: they just want to know. They're freaking out. They're in the peanut gallery. Go mom!
1: (laughs) So Catherine shows strong mathematical abilities from an early age. Because Greenbrier County did not offer public schooling for African American students past the eighth grade, the Colemans arranged for their children to attend high school in Institute, West Virginia. The school that they went to was on the campus of West Virginia State College, which is now West Virginia State University. Um. And Catherine was enrolled when she was ten, only 10 years old. Wait, she was going to high school? Yes. When she was 10? Yes.
0: Holy shit. Yeah. She was... For math? She was advanced. So I'm bad at math. And so anyone who's like even even average at math, I'm like, so... How much...
1: You're good at math. You sold your soul to the devil, didn't you, to
0: do that basic (laughs)
1: addition, right? That's the only way this could happen. And she's 10 years old going to to high school. High school, yes. So the family split their time between Institute and Sulphur Springs, you know, school year versus summer. So Mm -hmm. they travel back and forth. I didn't look up how far it was, but I mean, they're in the same state, so it can't be too far. Was she like okay so they had like a home in institute yeah okay and they'd stay there during the school years and then go back to white sulfur springs for okay. the summer i'm
0: like was it like a boarding school
1: or was that one hell of a commute nope the family just all went together what do you mean the school bus doesn't come all the way out here right <laughs> and i mean she so she was the youngest of four children so i'm assuming her older siblings were also in high school Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Didn't, That's great that I did they I didn't look were, that up.
0: Did, did all of the kids go to high school then? I didn't
1: look it up. Okay. We're, we're not going to worry it about... It didn't mention it. This isn't their story. So Catherine graduated from high school at 14 and entered West Virginia State, a historically black college. As a student, she took every math course offered by the college and multiple professors mentored her, including chemist and mathematician Angie Turner King, who also mentored Catherine throughout high school, and WW... Shifalin Clater, the third African American to have ever received a PhD in math. Oh
0: my God! So, so th- those were her tutors. She's being held up by legends. Yeah,
1: this is awesome. Um, so clayter the the the, P, the third PhD receiver, um, actually went and added new math courses just for her. Oh my God! Because she was God. that advanced. Um, we need to make new math for you because you are blowing our minds, right? <laughs> she graduated. She graduated summa cum laude. Or however you pronounce that. I think it's summa cum laude. And in 1937 with degrees in mathematics and French at the age of 18. Was she just like,
0: oh, you know, I need to break up all this math. I'm going to learn some French. Yeah.
1: And so she graduated at 18 when most people are just starting college.
0: Yeah. Oh, my fucking. Right. Okay. I I don't care, like, if this happened today. This is insane. But especially for back then with all of the barriers in her way. Yeah. Like because she wasn't even supposed oh, yeah. to be able to go to high school for God's sake. Yeah. Right.
1: Like her family was like, no, we're going to give you this opportunity and move to a different city so right. you can do this. Um, So she was later handpicked to be one of three black students to integrate into West Virginia's graduate school. Um, And some people, most people would consider that um the life's their life's most notable moment Mm -hmm. but it's just one of several breakthroughs that catherine that marks catherine's long and remarkable life she's just fucking getting started right bring it on her being handpicked happened when the court court ruled that states that provided public higher education to white students also had to provide the same education to black students this could be satisfied by either establishing black colleges and universities on their own Or by admitting black students to previously white-only universities. So states kind of had their choice. Okay. Um, As long as
0: everyone was getting the same level of education. But I mean, this whole separate but equal thing, we know how that shit plays out.
1: Uh, West Virginia decided to quietly integrate its graduate students in 1939. West Virginia State President Dr. John W. Davis selected Catherine and two male students as the first black students to be offered spots at the state's flagship school, West Virginia University. Catherine left her teaching job that she had. Did I mention that? She went on to teach? Oh, no. Sorry. I must have skipped that note. So after she graduated at 18, she went on to teach. Um, in Marion, Virginia, at a black public school.
0: What the actual? Thought? Sorry,
1: I must have skipped that line. So this is a few years after that. So she's been teaching for a few years, and now they're.
0: Oh, I've got some work experience under my belt. I'm gonna go break the barriers. Well, and of she was college. she was selected. She, yeah,
1: she was one of three. Um, so she left her teaching job and enrolled in the graduate math program. Obviously, <laughs> either she... that or French. You know, wait,
0: you mean she wasn't a creative writing major? <laughs>
1: No, that's a useless major. Oh my God. Shots fired. i I mean, I do have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the first session, however, she decided to leave school after becoming pregnant and choosing to focus on her family instead. Valid choice. Um, she was married at the time. I forgot to mention that. Actually, it wasn't in my notes, but she did get married. Can I, can I side
0: note? Can I like get up on my yeah. little soap Bechtel box here? Yeah.
1: I mean not that it matters that she was married. Sorry, I should say that.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're right. It totally She
1: was.
0: (laughs) Yep. But this I feel like there are a lot of misconceptions about feminism that it's about women just abandoning the home, hating men, burning their bras, and like going to turn the patriarchy into a matriarchy where women rule. And it's not about that. The core of feminism is choice. Right. If you wanna be a stay-at-home mom, if you wanna be a homemaker
1: that is a fucking valid choice and, and if, if men can choose that women should be able to freely choose that too and
0: men should be able to choose that too because they're expected to be out working yeah they can stay at home too like these are all necessary functions we need in our lives and it doesn't matter if you're a man a woman non-binary gender like it doesn't whatever matter. you are you should be able to do whatever you want exactly so i just want to point that out yeah. It's a pet peeve I have about, like, the Oh, and I feminism. agree. And I
1: mean, there are some extreme feminists that are that way, that are burn the bra, let's make, you know, the men suffer if we've suffered. There are some of those women, and unfortunately, sometimes they're heard the loudest because they're the most controversial, but the core of feminism and the main movement is not that. Right.
0: I wouldn't even call
1: those people no, feminists. No, but they call them, you know. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it's, it's all about choice. So if you want to go out there and work and focus your on your career instead of family, valid choice. If right. you, you know, want to... And she
1: chose... She was like, no, If I you want to go take, home.
0: Yeah. If you want to take some time to focus on your family, if that's all you want to focus on, dude, fucking get it, girl. Right. We love you and we support you, whoever you are. Whoever needs to hear this, we
1: love you. We love you. But not in a
0: creepy way. No, totally, yeah. totally not
1: creepy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so she left after the first session... She eventually re- did return to teaching when her... Th- so she had three daughters over the time period. And then once they got a little older, then she went back to teaching. Okay. So my she, mom she, sta- she stayed a stay-at-home mom for a little while.
0: My mom did that. She was working at a library and then uh, took some time off when I was born. Yeah. And then she went back and was a... She was a preschool teacher. She was a substitute teacher because then she was on my schedule. Yep, But yeah, I mean,
1: valid choices. So she stayed a teacher until about nineteen fifty-two, and that was when a relative told her about open positions at an all black West Area computing section at the National Advisory Committee of Aeronautics. So N A C A.
0: What is what is that? So you're It's
1: the predecessor to NASA.
0: Oh. Okay. So there's yeah. a there's an opening at pre NASA. Pre NASA. Baby NASA. Yep,
1: and it was an all black section. In the 1950s, pre-NASA yeah, had Yeah, a- it was all-black West Area Computing Section. That's crazy so to me. they just had a section that was for black people. Wow. Yep. So, so this was in Langley. It was a laboratory in Langley, and it was headed by fellow West Virginian Dortha Vog- Vaghan, v- Vagen, who I also believe was black. I didn't look her up, but I think I read somewhere that she was also black. Maybe we'll tell her story sometime. Yeah. Catherine and her husband, James Goble, there we go, we got to the husband finally, okay. <laughs> um, decided to move the family to Newport News to pursue this opportunity, and Catherine began working at Langley in the summer of 1953. I did read that she had applied previously, that she had actually applied in 1952, but all the spots had been taken, so she applied again the next year and then actually got in. Okay.
0: Um, i'm like wait they don't want someone who graduated from college at right. 18 and no it was teaching. just they were like
1: oh we don't have any spots left sorry yeah according to the one. to an oral history <laughs> archived by the national visionary leadership project that states at first she worked in a pool of women performing math calculations Catherine has referred to the women in the pool as virtual compute quote computers who wore skirts Oh, my God. Their main job was to read the data from the black boxes of plane and carry out other precise mathematical tasks. Then one day, Catherine and a colleague were temporarily assigned to help the all-male flight research team. Catherine's knowledge of analytic geometry helped make quick allies of male bosses and colleagues to the extent that, quote... They forgot to return me to the pool, end quote. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) You're you're
0: ours now. You're with us. We need you.
1: While the racial and gender barriers were always there, Catherine says she ignored them. Catherine was assertive, asking to be included in editorial meetings where no woman had gone before. And she simply told people that she had done the work and that she belonged. Good
0: for her. And just the confidence to have that sense of authority and like, no, I fucking deserve to be here is something... I would kill for right because I am I'm so like meek, especially yeah. in a professional setting. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever you say, like no big deal, and that's something I'm trying to work on. But she's in there, and she's
1: like, she's like no, I I belong here just as much as you. Yeah, tell tell me I don't. I right? dare you.
0: Bring it on.
1: So to kind of backtrack a little, because that was all a quote. So she she worked as the computer from 1953 to 1958. I hope that was on her resume. I know, right? Computer. Computer who wore a skirt. Can you tell me more about this? (laughs) Right. So then she was um, reassigned to the, the, the male group, which was called the Guidance and Control Division of Langley's Flight Research Division. So staffed by white male engineers... And in keeping with state racial segregation laws and federal workplace segregation introduced under President Woodrow Wilson in the early 20th century, Catherine and the other African Americans and women in the computing pool were required to work, eat, and use restrooms that were separate from those of their white peers. Bullshit. Their office was also labeled as the colored computers. Yeah.
0: You know, if it wasn't racially charged, that sounds like kind of a neat name. Right. But it's obviously inappropriate and that yeah. sucks.
1: In an interview with WHRO TV, Johnson stated that, quote, she didn't feel segregation at NASA because everybody there was doing research. You had a mission and you worked on it, and it was important to you to do your job and play bridge at lunch. <laughs> I just like that the end the end of the sentence is and play bridge at lunch. <laughs> In French.
0: Right. Girls gotta have um,
1: a recreation. She added, I didn't feel any segregation. I knew it was there, but I just didn't feel it.
0: Well, because she's like, I'm doing my work. I don't know what the fuck y'all are doing.
1: Um, so I guess, so NA, the NACA disbanded the colored computing pool in 1958 when it was superseded by NASA. So maybe it was absorbed into NASA. I don't really know. NASA, NASA, NASA might have like, been its own thing and took them over. Yeah. Either way, she ended up at NASA. She Yeah, she was like a, a budlet of what was to be nasa right so nasa had adopted digital computers by this point which is why they didn't need people hand doing their calculations um and although this the installation of the desegregation forms of discrimination were still pervasive and katherine recalled this saying quote we needed to be assertive as women in those days assertive and aggressive and the degree to which we had to be that way depended on where you were I had to be in the early days of NASA. Women were not allowed to put their names on the reports. No woman in my division had her name on any report. I was working with Ted Skopinski, and he wanted to leave and go to Houston. But Henry Pearson, our supervisor, he was not a fan of women, kept pushing him to finish the report we were working on. Finally, Ted told him, Catherine should finish the report. She's done most of the work anyways. So Ted left Pearson with no choice. I finished the report, and my name went on it, and that was the first time a woman in our division had her name on something.
0: That is insane because, you know, a lot of the women we cover have been either forgotten or intentionally erased by history. These women not being able to take credit for all of their work. I mean, no wonder they're fucking hidden figures
1: because we don't even have the paperwork. Speaking of that, it'll come later in my story, but she was actually in a a book and then a film called Hidden Figures. Was it the most recent Hidden Figures? I think so. Oh my god, I feel really
0: dumb right now. I should have recognized her name. Because that movie was a really big deal. Uh, yes.
1: I don't know. I'll get to it later when it says the year. I'm I'm skipping ahead, I'm sorry. So in nineteen fifty six, James Goble, her husband, died to due to an inoperable brain tumor. Oh. So sad. Yeah. Um however, in nineteen fifty seven, Catherine Johnson's life changed, and at that same time the Soviets just happened to launch the Sputnik satellite. Oh snap. It's getting real. Yep. So in 19, also in 1957, Catherine provided some of the math for the 1958 doc, document "Notes on Space Technology," a compendium of series of 1958 lectures given by engineers in the Flight Research Division and the pilot the pilotless aircraft research division. Take a deep. That breath. was the entire name. <laughs> That's how you get your word count. (laughs) Right? Um, Engineers from those groups formed the core of the Space Task Group, um, which was the NACA's, or NASA's, first foray into space. And Catherine, who had worked with many of them since coming to Langley, came along with the program. Literally, that was in quotes, just came along with the program. She's she's a part of the package. You need her. So then it says, yeah, as the NACA became NASA. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. She did trajectory analysis for Alan Shepard's May 1961 mission on Freedom 7. So I think that was the first American in space. I think. I recognize the name. You know, this is a
0: herstory podcast. Sorry. We don't care about the his. I'm
1: kidding. America's. Yeah, it says America's first human space flight. Oh, my God. I should have waited. I should have waited. Yeah. In 1960, she she and engineer Ted Skopinski co-authored. So this is the name of their paper that we so we talked about in her quote, determination of the azim- azimuth angle of burnout for placing a satellite over a selected Earth position. Is it azimuth? No. A z i m u t h. So Is that azimuth? azimuth? Sure.
0: As you know, a moth angle. All words are made up, and we can pronounce them however we I'm want. A glass
1: of wine and yeah. without dinner. Don't don't I was, question me. We
0: we had to start recording a little early. Normally, Kelly and I are kind of like more relaxed, and we've had our first glass of wine, but due to scheduling issues, we we're just pounding it down and getting the shit
1: done. Fuck yeah. Bow. all right so this this was a report laying out the equations describing an orbital space flight in which the landing position of the spacecraft was specified because if you didn't know this originally when they launched things into space they just kind of let them land wherever and they were like oh we'll just go and recover them i mean they usually tried to get them in the ocean but yeah well
0: um, we know it's going to be in this you know somewhere in the pacific right just this whole general blue area (laughs) on the map we'll Um, figure it out
1: so her and then ted says because they wrote a report on these equations to try and get them to land in specific areas Actually,
0: i totally thought you were gonna say ted kaczynski for a second and i'm like that's probably
1: why i like fucked that up whoa what? i didn't know the unabomber was a part of this <laughs> i don't even know if he was alive yet i don't think so <laughs> right um so as we mentioned it was the first time a woman in the flight research division had received credit as an author of a research report During this time, she also plotted backup navigation charts for the astronauts astronauts to take with them in case of electronic failures. So she's helping keep them safe. Yep. So jumping ahead to 1962, as NASA prepared for the orbital mission of John Glenn, Catherine was called upon to do work that she would become most known for.
0: So this is her peak. This is it. This is what all of her badassery is leading up to.
1: So, the complexity of the orbital flight had required the construction of a worldwide communications network, linking tracking stations around the world to IBM computers in Washington, D.C., Cape Canaveral, and Bermuda. Did she create the internet? No. Is that what this is? Just listen. Okay. The computers had been programmed with the orbital equations that would control the trajectory of the capsule in Glenn's Friendship 7 mission, from blastoff to splashdown, see? oceans okay but the astronauts were wary of putting their lives in the care of the electronic calculating machines which were prone to hiccups and blackouts because computers are terrible as part of the pre-flight checklist glenn asked the engineers to quote get the girl (gasps) Catherine." he wanted her to run the same numbers through the same equations that had been programmed into the computer but do it by hand on her desktop mechanical calculating machine if I, she this is a quote from John Glenn. If she says I they're good, we're good. I love that he's like fuck the computers. Get me Catherine because she is yep. the only one I can trust to get this shit right. Yeah, it says Catherine Johnson remembers the astronaut saying then I'm ready to go. Like if if she calculates it to be the same.
0: That's incredible. Yep. Like I can you imagine someone today being like, "Hey, I did this on my cell phone calculator, but can you do it on some paper by hand cuz I want to make sure it's right?" right. You do, like that's completely oh, yeah. inconceivable. this is insane.
1: This is what so biography.com states that these calculations were, quote, "far more difficult calculations to account for the gravitational pulls of celestial bodies." End quote. Author Margaret Lee Shelterley, who's the person that wrote Hidden Figures, okay, stated. So the astronaut who became a hero looked to this black woman in the still segregated South at the time of one- as one of the key parts of making sure his mission would be a success. She added that in a time where computing was women's work and engineering was left to the men, it really does have to do with us over the course of time. Sort of not valuing that work that was done by women, however necessary as much as we might and it it has taken history to get the perspective on that
0: you know what i love is that math and stem is is very much seen as the realm of the realm of men
1: right and the, i mean there are a lot of people though that are like we need more women in stem
0: i mean we do here's the thing we need to encourage women to pursue stem if they're interested in it, and we need to allow those opportunities yeah.
1: and the thing is we need to encourage men to be able to go into whatever field they want as well exactly Like, they don't have to go into math or science or, Or you know, if they don't want to. If they want to be an artist or a theater major, let them. Go for it, dude. But I love this idea that calculation was, quote unquote, woman's woman's work. work. I'm like, what? Since when? I know. That's insane. So, in case you didn't know, John Glenn's flight was a success. Oh, thank God. (laughs) And it marked a huge turning point in the competition between the United States and the Soviet Union in the space race. When someone asked her to name her greatest contribution to the space exploration, Catherine talks about the calculations that helped cinch the Project Apollo's lunar landing. So, not only did she, like, make sure John Glenn went into space, she also actually helped with landing on the moon.
0: Oh my God! So we wouldn't have gotten into space. I mean, okay, I get a lot of people were working on. Yeah, and it this.
1: wasn't just her, but she was kind of one of the forerunners. Yeah, but she was also completely erased. Yeah, almost completely. Almost. Um, they tried. So yeah, so she she helped with the calculations that helped sync Project Apollo's lunar lander with the moon orbiting command and service module. She also worked on the space shuttle and the Earth Resources Satellite, and authored or co-authored twenty six more research papers. Good God. She retired in 1986 after 33 years working at Langley for NASA. She said, I loved going to work every single day. See, Um, that
0: would be such stressful work for me because you get one number wrong and that dude's fucking dead. Yeah. The astronauts are all... it, it, It doesn't turn out well. But I... I mean, it, it seemed like she was had this natural ability, yeah. and then she worked really hard at
1: it. Oh, That's, and she, she definitely loved did. it.
0: That's incredible.
1: So we are now into my legacy Ooh. portion. Legacy. Um, so in 2015, at the age of 97, Catherine added another extraordinary achievement to her long list. President Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom, America's highest civilian honor. Oh, there's
0: actually Catherine. a really,
1: there's actually a really cute picture of her with like the medal on and like Obama's kissing her cheek. Oh, yeah, Catherine. it's like oh, she's like this little old lady. Well,
0: and I love that she was, you know, she's a. A black woman working with all of these men. They're trying to be like, no, you don't get to put your name on the paper. And she perseveres. And well, and she I like that the one man was herself, like, no,
1: just fucking let her.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, yeah, that's great that she had people around her that could respect, like, she's really good at right. this. What but the she fuck al- is wrong she with also you? knew
1: that she had to stand up for herself.
0: Exactly. But then she lived long enough to not only be I recognized for right, I think but, she's
1: still alive. But
0: recognized to be the, to meet the first African-American president. president. I know. That's amazing. Oh, my
1: God. I'm so, going to cry. These I stories know. are going to make me cry. Here's other things. Um, in 2016, a new 40,000 square foot building was named the Katherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility and was formerly dedicated at the agency's Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. The facility officially opened its doors on September 2017, and she was able to attend the event, which also marked the 55th anniversary of Alan Shepard's historic rocket launch and splashdown, a success Johnson helped achieve. Aww. I know. At the ceremony, Deputy Director Lewin said about Catherine, millions of people around the world watched Shepard's flight, but what they didn't know at the time was that the calculations that got him into space and safely home we done by today's guest of honor, Katherine Johnson. During the event, Johnson also received a Silver Snoopy Award, often called the Astronauts Award. NASA, NASA stated that it is given to those who have made outstanding contributions to flight safety and mission successes.
0: That's, I'm so glad she's being recognized for all of right. this.
1: We're not done yet with her. Oh, my God. Keep, give it to me. <laughs> Achievements. Give it to me. So she has been traded in the media. The highly acclaimed film Hidden Figures, released in December 2016. Okay, so this is the yep. movie I was thinking of. I did not see it. <laughs> was based on the nonfiction book of the same title by Margaret Lee Sh- Shetterly, which is the woman I quoted earlier. Right. Um, which was published the year earlier. So that was published in 2015. It follows Catherine and other female African American mathematicians, Mary Jackson and Dorothy Vaughan. So, see, she was black. I was like, I knew it said (laughs) somewhere in there. um, We we had worked at NASA. Taraji P. Henson plays Johnson in the film. Appearing alongside Henson at the 89th Academy Awards, Catherine received a standing ovation from the audience.
0: Was she the one who was actually at the awards ceremony? Yeah, she was like okay. in a wheelchair. Right. Yeah. I, re- I remember seeing that and I just, I couldn't and remember I think it was which like, of the women I it was. I saw
1: a picture and I think it was like her, Michelle Obama, I think the woman that played her and then like two other like famous black women. And it was just like this very powerful photo. Right. I'll put it up on the blog. It was beautiful. I'm going to cry. This is all very touching. I know. Um, Catherine offered the following comment about the movie. Quote, it was well done. The three leading ladies did an excellent job portraying us. So that's pretty good.
0: I mean, if you get get the thumbs up from the person you're pretending to be, (laughs) that's pretty good. (laughs) Um,
1: There was also a 2016 episode of the NBC series Timeless titled Space Race in which she was portrayed by Nadine Ellis. So
0: she's... You know what I think is interesting is um, when as soon as you mentioned hidden figures, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that, that sparked something in me. But
1: yeah, without the book and the movie,
0: you know, I would have been like,
1: who, what? Right,
0: exactly. And now now I'm catching up and I'm real. oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I know who that is. Yeah.
1: So I have, I have a few, like, just a few more things. Go for it. Um, so the West Virginia State University announced plans for an endowed STEM scholarship in the honor of Catherine and a lifestyle statue of her on campus. On May twelfth, twenty eighteen, she was an award- awarded an honorary doctorate by the College of William and Mary, and that was one day before her hundredth birthday. Oh my god! How old she is attended. She? Uh she turned hundred last year.
0: Oh my god! She's,
1: I think she, I couldn't find anything saying she died, so I assume she's still alive I, and kicking.
0: I feel like I would have heard about it. So yeah, oh yeah, like I,
1: I hardcore like was googling, like I was looking at NASA's website, like everything. I so think, I think we're she's still hear alive. About it. So, yeah, there's this beautiful, like, bronze sculpture of her, and um, this is what was said. What makes Catherine so extraordinary is she not only prevailed while segregation failed. Dr. Johnson has continued to persevere and thrive with the gracious poise and clarity that defies mere words of explanation, let alone definition. This was said by Yvonne Cagle, life science and directorate at Johnson Space Center. She also said, quote, so, what can you say after a century about someone like Dr. Catherine Coleman Goble Johnson?
0: I mean, here's the thing. She deserves as many fucking names as she right. wants. I'll tack on some for you. Right? So, it says <laughs>
1: People should lose their breath <laughs> speaking your name. So, the full quote is So, what can you say about a century after doc- Dr. Catherine Coleman Goble Johnson? That is literally every last name she's had her whole life. Um, our very own global, global genius. Let's see. You say nothing. You don't say anything. You listen.
0: Oh, sit down. Shut the fuck up.
1: Genius is speaking. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah, she and she turned 100 August of last year, 2018. And that, that's my story.
0: That's so beautiful. I'm, you know, I didn't see the movie. Shame on me. But I'm really I honestly glad I was... didn't even hear about it. You didn't even hear about
1: it? I live under rocks.
0: Apparently. Okay. Do, why caves. do we live in a cave? <laughs> when Kelly and I lived together, we she always had the lights off and I was always turning them on. She was always turning them off. And there was this one time I literally just yelled, why
1: do we live in a cave? <laughs> well, what would happen is, I actually, this was when we lived in Rochester, but I would get home before her. She worked later than I did. Mm-hmm. This might have been when I was working nights, even. I, I don't remember. Um. But what would happen is I would get home when it's still light out and I would start like playing a video game or watching TV. And I'm sure everyone's had that moment where you don't notice how dark it's gotten because yep. you're just so focused. And then she would come in and yell at me and I'd be like, wow, it's it's really dark in here. When did the sun set? So that's what would happen. So that's our thing. We, we it's, live in it's, a cave. Um, why do we live in a cave and so oh, angry? angry. <laughs> Those are, always, our, those are our familial quotes. We would always yell at each other in, like, the most
0: loving ways possible, and then when we'd kind of peek, we'd just yell, so angry! It was beautiful. It was. Yes. See, you can get mad at the women in your life and still love them. Right.
1: It's It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship,
0: thank you for sharing that story though, because like I said, i didn't I didn't see the movie. i I struggle with those very deep emotional movies because I'm a crier.
1: Oh, I and know. I just
0: I rarely have the energy to knowingly walk into a cry, right. So it was really great to hear her story from you and then yeah. to be, oh, shit. I know what you're talking
1: about. Yeah, to be like, oh, I have heard of this person. I just didn't realize it. And I love the synergy we had both talking
0: about women of color who segregation who broke down barriers because they're like fuck this shit right yeah thank you you're welcome well we ended on a pretty high note but i'm gonna keep the thankfulness going so at the end of every episode kelly and i share something we're thankful for these are my least favorite part this is my favorite part (laughs) but it's particularly helpful when we have kind of downer stories yes so um Kelly, would you like to go first or would you like me to go Uh, first?
1: No. Yeah, no, you go first.
0: Okay, I'll go first. So um, I'm not going to go into details. I have had a hell of a week and I just kind of feel like dying. And I I work with a life drawing class and I I modeled this last week and I went in and I didn't fucking want to be there because I'm like, I just want to go home, curl up in a ball and will myself to die. I just like want to... Disappear, So I went in and the whole group, they're all so welcoming and nice. And I Aww. started posing and I, it's a very expressive work. And at the end of it, I felt so much better. It was very calming and peaceful. And everyone's like, wow, your poses were like really good and expressive. I'm like, well, you can thank all of the frustration and <laughs> You can angst. thank my anger. <laughs> yeah, you can thank my angst. So I'm really thankful for that group. I'm really thankful for that opportunity to get out and express myself and feel better. And Aww. for that, for those people in that environment. So Aww. that really helped me get through my week without just imploding.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I you can't implode because we had an episode to do.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the other thing. I'm like, oh, I can't just explode because I can not now you can, Kelly. <laughs> I mean,
1: I mean you have to be back like next week, but I'll just I'll you just, can like, explode in, in the meantime. Yeah, and then reform by the next episode. Yeah,
0: I'll I'll just. Avengers: Infinity War now, and then Avenger- Avengers: Endgame. Fingers crossed by next week. Okay,
1: sounds like a plan. Awesome. Um, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm not. I. I. I'm open about my mental health, but this week I'm gonna thank my therapist because I haven't seen him in a really long time. Partially because I was doing okay. Partially because goddamn, I work a lot and trying to like fit that in and still like work was not working out for my schedule for a while Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was just there's been a lot of things different things going on in my life and it was just really nice to actually like see him and sit down and like work through things because some of it was just not even like him helping me but it was just me being able to talk things out with someone it's huge um it was great and i left feeling that that was the first psych appointment that i haven't cried at and it's not that i like intentionally cry. It's just that I think like all my emotions come to the surface when I'm talking to him because I'm just talking about, you know, obviously what's going on in my life Mm -hmm. that I every single session except this last one, I have cried.
0: Well, and when you're in the moment of a very stressful time, you are so focused on getting it done. Like I've I've had phone calls this week where I'm like, I just want to cry, but I can't because I got to I gotta suck it up. I gotta focus. And I gotta get this shit done. Yeah, so and I it's, cry at my
1: psych sessions.
0: Yeah, and it's not until later where you're really reflecting on an event where you're like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm, I'm just gonna cry about it." Yeah, I'm giving myself permission to feel this. But yeah, to the full so it, was, it was
1: like a big breath of air, and it was it was nice. I'm really proud of
0: you. Choosing to go back to therapy is a really big deal, and the fact that you're taking care of yourself and your mental health
1: is something that everyone should applaud. Well, and the fact that I could have easily not gone because it's been like a month to a month and a half, and I could have easily just been like, meh, I'm not going to go back." Exactly. It's, it's but I was like, easier "No, to not I should go it. back." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, definitely is because I mean, I the therapist I see is someone that a friend recommended to me that she had seen for similar problems, and she gave me his phone number. And it it seriously just due to fear and stuff took me like three months to call him because I was so afraid of going back to therapy. Not like for any rational thing. It's just that I have anxiety and my brain is like terrible things are going to happen. You know, like he's going to tell you your whole life's lie, which as someone who studied psychology, that's not what therapists do.
0: Right. But that's how powerful uh, mm-hmm. mental illness can that's be. how anxiety works. Well, and, you know, it's like. I struggle with anxiety, too. I'm not trying to, like, blow up your spot or anything. Just sharing.
1: My problems are just as valid as your problems, Emily. Aw,
0: and your problems are almost as valid as mine. No, I'm
1: kidding.
0: (laughs) Your problems are just as valid as mine. But, um... People will say, well, you're overreacting. You're, that doesn't make sense. Oh, honey, I fucking know right. it doesn't make sense. That's the worst part about it because I'm very self-aware that none of what I'm thinking or feeling makes right. any goddamn sense. And yet here it is. Yeah. And here I am unable to move past and it.
1: And that's literally what makes it anxiety versus just worrying about something. It's right. it's the fact that you know it's irrational. It is an irrational fear That you just cannot get over. Right. And I was talking to Justin about that once about something and he's just like, it sucks to know that no matter what I say and no matter how rational I am, you know, he's like, I'm not going to be able to convince you to calm down because your brain isn't being rational. I'm like, trust me, I know. Oh, yeah. But it's nice to know that he, even though he doesn't struggle with it, he understands as much as he can.
0: Exactly. He's, he's doing his best to be yeah. supportive of you and it's great that you have people in your life who do support you i, I mean same for me you support yeah. me I,
1: yeah, I was gonna say we support each other yeah so cheers yeah. and thanks to all of that cheers clink more wine so thank you all for joining our Femi family today this we was were
0: such a cathartic episode it was and we I were glad this. you guys were here <laughs>
1: to share it with us thank
0: you um Please hit us up on Facebook, Whining About Hurstory, Instagram w a h pod. Um, email us your the women in your life that you want to celebrate because we want to hear about them at whiningabouthistory at gmail.com. Right
1: or wine recommendations or just anecdotes or even just like a hi, hey, I'm out here and I'm listening. Like or if you want someone to talk to, I'll email you back. I have time. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we love it. And then check out our blog, um, com. I post a little synopsis every week, and I'm trying to do profiles, even though I totally missed my Virginia Woolf one, but shh. Virginia Woolf is a queen and I love her. There's just so much. There's I act- so much there.
0: Oh, she is an incredible figure. And I actually, I was doing, a, I did a lot of reading of hers and then papers when I was in college to the point where a couple of birthdays ago, my friend gave me a postcard with her picture and Aww. then wrote on the back, like, to your to your uh, past life lesbian lover. Cute. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I kind of love Virginia Woolf.
1: But yeah, so check all those out, you know. We'd love to hear from you,
0: and thank you so much for joining us today, and please have an empowered day.
1: Bye. Bye.